0: Hi, I'm Dr. Andy Horvath. Welcome to Event FOMO, a podcast that lets you attend events you missed. No FOMO, fear of missing out. We capture the exciting events on the campus of the University of Melbourne. Join me, because together we're about to gatecrash a special University of Melbourne Science Faculty Alumni event called Bio Inspirations. It officially launched the Bio-Inspiration Hallmark Research Initiative alongside Science Gallery art installations from an exhibition called Disposable. This was recorded in August 2019.
1: So, thank you, and pardon the pun, but you are in for a treat.
0: We'll come back and talk to the professors and various people, but first, let's visit the Science Gallery installations. Okay, walk with me. What happens when a reptile biologist, a chemistry researcher, and a professor walk into a bar? I'll tell you at the end of the podcast. Now, history has many examples of the power of interdisciplinary research. It's the key to innovations, whether by design or by serendipity, where unlikely collaborators find new solutions to old problems. We'll go rub elbows with all the people tonight involved in supporting and encouraging multidisciplinary research at university level, globally and locally. Okay, we're standing outside a small perspex shed full of polystyrene and what looks like a gazillion wriggling brown mealworms. Ryan, what's the name of this installation?
1: This is a work by Oliver Kellhammer from New York. So this one's called Plastivore and it is a large-scale installation of around 12,000 mealworms that are all busily munching away on waste polystyrene, which is incredible.
0: Plastic is totally synthetic, but yet these mealworms eat it. How
1: come? These little mealworms have bacteria within their gut that can actually partially digest plastic. So the, the backstory around this is it was actually researchers in China who were looking at organisms that could break down plastic and discovered that the mealworms were happily eating polystyrene and then discovered it is the bacteria within their gut that have evolved to be able to break down the plastic. So Oliver became really interested in this and, and took it into a, a more artistic direction. But the New York City Council are are genuinely interested in this as a a solution. So there's current uh, trials where people are donating their uh, polystyrene waste and many thousands of, of mealworms are busily munching away. So we're replicating that here at the university and we've been encouraging people over the past few weeks to bring all of their waste polystyrene in And we've been getting mountains and mountains of it because it's such a big waste product. And here they are, happily, eating that waste. It's the start of a potential solution to our plastic waste.
0: That was Dr Ryan Jeffries, Head of Programs for the Science Gallery in Melbourne.
2: I'll have you know, these are my 12,000 latest colleagues and I would say part of my family at this point. I adore them. They think everything's edible, I reckon. They are so good at eating. And Now, we haven't trained them how to do this at all. We give them little bits of vegetable for some water. But other than that, they get all of their food source from the polystyrene and from the meal flour.
0: That's Tilly Boylan. She's one of the curators at the Science Gallery Melbourne talking to people at the art installations have a listen to this this is what a gazillion mealworms sound like when munching on polystyrene i know it's awesome let's hear it again because i can't get enough of something i've never heard before thank you sound guy for your sensitive good
2: microphone work do they poop? of course they must poop they absolutely poop. And their poop has the
1: depolymerised version of the polystyrene. They partially digest it, so we're getting some microplastics in their poop.
0: So what happens to the poop then? Can we use the poop?
1: There's also a lot of urea, and there's really a strong smell of urea within this installation. So we've been growing plants in in their poop, and the plants love the urea, so we're creating a little mini ecosystem alongside the plastivore.
2: In New York they are running some experiments with local councils where they are fishing polystyrene out of the rivers and the mealworms are still chowing through it, the salt doesn't bother them and they're trying to sort out whether they will then be able to grow plants in it. So basically turning polystyrene into compost.
0: I love this art meets science. This is science colliding with arts at its best. More installations from the disposable exhibition for the Science Gallery Melbourne later. At this event, the University of Melbourne also launched the Bioinspiration Hallmark Research Initiative. Hello, cheers.
3: Hi, my name's Debbie Stuart Fox. I'm in Biosciences. I'm a researcher here and I co-chair an initiative in Bioinspiration
0: so you're a researcher what needs to change in research or why is it changing well basically i think there are better
3: ways to do things basically life on earth has evolved over 3.8 billion years and has solved almost all of the problems that we face today life has solved it through a process of evolution trial and error it's essentially success through failure like natural selection weeds out basically design failures and we end up with life forms that can survive in the harshest conditions on the planet. And problems like sustainability, how we capture energy, how we transfer information have already been solved. And so more and more we're drawing on biology, on nature to solve some of those challenges. In science, the 21st century is the age of biology. And that means that we have so much more information to draw on than we ever have before in solving those problems.
0: Is this a shift in thinking for future young researchers?
3: Absolutely. The shift in thinking is really about interdisciplinary research. So it's bringing together people from biology, from engineering, from architecture and design and also industry, because we need to know what problems need to be solved, and bringing them together to come up with really new, innovative solutions to some of the problems we face.
0: Associate Professor Debbie Stewart-Fox, thank you. Thank you. Right in front of me is a giant perspex shed with giant flasks of That suspiciously familiar yellow liquid we all know. And it's all connected up with wires and they all appear to be connected to a mobile phone. It's called the urinotron. Yep. Sound guy, can you put a special effect on that word? Urinotron. Urinotron.
2: Fantastic. Your urinotron, which is where you can come and, and contribute your weed to a large scale battery powered just by human urine and you can charge your phone. You cannot charge your phone unless you give us a donation though. So you've got to give some to get some. Tilly Boylan again. I've cornered
0: one of the guests at this event. Here is Caroline Spark, a law science graduate and an alumni of the University of Melbourne. Tell me about what you're fascinated with here today.
4: Well, thanks, Andy. It's a pity I didn't actually bring my sample jar, but I was fascinated by the urinotron that's out the front.
0: Tell me about
4: it. It's like a big galvanic cell, so it's a whole bunch of vials filled with urine that is effectively a mild acid if you actually physically look at it, they've got wires running from each of the vials, so there's a sort of positive and negative anode cathode in each of them running from next to next to next to next. And ultimately it's generating about three and a half volts of voltage, enough to power a mobile phone. What's so Urine can power a mobile phone? Urine can power a mobile phone. And we were joking about what the future might bring in terms of using everyday products, in this case an obvious waste product, or what otherwise people would think of as a waste product, as actually a source of, in this case, the acidic component and, and the urea in it I guess they're probably using. And ultimately, who knows what that could power in the future? I'm not sure whether it's science or whether it's art, but I gather it's both, and I've been told that part of this is to try and make people interested in science through other means than just classic, you know, you should all go to school and study science. Science is actually really interesting. I know that as a science graduate myself.
0: So what will you be sharing at work tomorrow, saying,
4: guess what I did last night? That is such a hilarious question. I'm a law science graduate, and I practise as a lawyer. And, you know, lawyers tend to glaze over a bit when you talk about science. I'll do my best because I'm also the waste and recycling Nazi in my office. (laughs) So I'll do my best, but I can't make any promises about how that might land with the people that I work with. Carolyn,
0: Spark, thank you. Whilst you may not be setting up a urinotron at home or at work to charge your mobile phone, it is a source of inspiration. After all, in the world of innovation, Imagination can be more important than knowledge. There are people at this event walking around with these embroidered badges that apparently have biosensors. Let's chat to Ryan Jeffries again. What are we looking at, and what's that thing you're wearing on your lapel?
1: So this is a fantastic project called Patch, and it's all about individuals and monitoring your own pollution levels. So I'm wearing this patch, which is part of a series of workshops where we've invited just the general public to come and create one, and they are embroidered material patch, and within there is a biosensor that is monitoring pollution levels in terms of carbon dioxide, It's picking up the chemicals in the air and then uh, it's linked to an app which is transmitting to the giant screen that we can see here. Participants then have a patch, they're across Melbourne and then we can start looking at the levels of pollution around people.
0: Wow, so humans as biosensors for how polluted Melbourne is currently. Mm. How much do the pollution levels change?
1: That's what we're going to find out. So uh, we're, uh, we're actually partnering with the EPA around that in terms of they have accurate uh, systems to monitor across Melbourne, but we want it to be more of a citizen science approach. The other aspect to the patch is really self-reporting. The whole season is around sustainability. What happens if you're self-reporting in terms of how wasteful you are? What is your contribution in terms of use of single-use plastic? And it's kind of self-shaming in a way if, if you're being extra polluting you're happy to do that you're happy to share that on your social media as well and making yourself accountable for your own actions we uh, really do aim to be about the collision of arts and science and really inspiring young people to think creatively about science technology where are we headed into the future
5: My name is Professor Alex Ofcharek. I'm the Dean of the Faculty of Science here at the University of Melbourne.
0: What examples of bio-inspiration or inspiration from nature has particularly captured your imagination, Professor?
5: Well, the one that really captures my imagination is the idea of creating adhesives modelled on the feet of geckos. Now, you know that geckos are these wonderful, beautiful creatures that can really stick to so many different surfaces. Now, nature have perfected the feet of geckos over millennia. Why aren't we getting inspiration? Well, we are, and that's the, I think that's really captured uh, my imagination.
0: I love it. All these solutions to some of the world's problems are actually there in front of us in nature.
5: And been created over such a length of time, perfected, if you like.
0: Tell us about the new era of the science-based multidisciplinary research here at the University of Melbourne.
5: Yeah, so it's a multidisciplinary initiative which brings together researchers from across the university, across and architecture and art and a whole range of disciplines. So it's to be inspired by nature itself. So as we learn more about the world, we understand the complexity of it. And that complexity is only really understood by different disciplinary lenses. By bringing those disciplinary lenses together, we just open up our understanding of the universe. And the Bioinspiration Inspiration Hallmark Research Initiative is a real example of that bringing together of the different disciplines.
0: What's the call to action or the shift in thinking you would like for future researchers to embrace?
5: So I'm hoping that our early career and mid-career researchers look at what we're doing here. They have a disciplinary lens, but just to be open to the perspectives of the other disciplines. So whether they're a pure mathematician or a geographer or a biologist, that they will listen to each other. Now, scientists are, by very nature, curious people. And so that openness should be pretty easy to achieve, I hope.
0: You know what? Let's check in in two years' time and see where it's
5: gone. Oh, I think that'll be exciting. OK,
0: it's a date. So, what happens when a reptile biologist, a chemistry researcher and a professor walk into a bar? Just like the good professor said, they come up with a fantastic new adhesive glue based on the feet of geckos. I look forward to learning about bioinspirations of the future. Thank yous go to the Science Gallery Melbourne and thank you to the Faculty of Science and Tessa Shaw who let us loose at this special alumni event. Thanks to all our guests. This event was recorded in August 2019. Sound production was by Arch Cuthbertson. I'm Dr. Andy Horvath. I hope you can join me next time either by being at an event or via a podcast. Oh, and listen to our other podcast, Eavesdrop on Experts. This podcast was made possible by the University of Melbourne.